All right, welcome to Salt City. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Drew. It's great to see you here this morning. So I don't know if you heard this, but I heard this week that January was the gloomiest January in Minnesota history. That's depressing. Um, So I was excited when my wife sent me a video last week and... She was on some cross-country skiing trails, and she said, I think you would like cross-country skiing. You should come with me. And I'd never been before, and I like my wife, and I trust her opinion, and so I said, okay, let's do this. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into. So there were many moments of failure. So we did classic cross-country skiing, which is where your skis are in tracks, and so we're going down a hill, and I'm just like, okay, the the trail is bending, and I'm not. And so I went into a snowbank. And there were moments of of just fun and and excitement, but it's fun to try something new, isn't it? And just to get outside, not be cooped up in your house. And and so I was thinking about that, and and I began to study this text in Genesis, and I think that there's something that just resonates with all of us about being called out on an adventure. We all want our life to be an adventure. And what we see in the scripture this morning is that God invites us to come with him on an adventure of faith. And so there's this turning point in the story in Genesis where God begins to have a conversation with a guy named Abram, whose name will become Abraham. And we're going to see kind of four movements in this story that is Abraham's adventure of walking with God. And I think we're going to see ourselves in the story as well and hear God call us on a similar adventure of faith. And so sort of the first movement that we see in the story is the promise of God. Every good story starts with a promise. So Genesis Chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, say this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now this story really comes out of nowhere because what we've seen so far in the book of Genesis is we saw this guy named Noah who's asked to construct an ark, then God floods and destroys the whole world. Noah comes off the ark, God tells him to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and then this group of people at Babel decided instead to kind of stay together build a great city, make a name for themselves. So God God scatters them over the face of the whole earth. And there's sort of a dot, dot, dot in the story, which is that people are sort of living for themselves and doing their own thing. And in that context, God, for a reason that's unknown to us, shows up to Abram. And the way that we would characterize what he does here is he just shows up and he makes him a promise. Abraham's living sort of a, contented life with his family. We learn that he's very wealthy and things seem to be going well. And God essentially says to him, you haven't seen anything yet. 
And so the way I would describe this promise is in terms of four different P's. He promises him a place. He promises him a people. He promises him a purpose. And he promises him prosperity. So he says, you think you've got something good going. I've got something way better for you. Something that you couldn't even imagine. And when you think about the decisions that you make, you really make decisions based on what you believe will make you most happy in the future. So you might think that you're making your decisions out of a sense of duty. I'm just doing this because it's the right thing to do. And because it's the right thing to do, that's the reason I'm doing it. But the reality is, the reason that we do everything that we do is because we believe that in living our life that way, it will make us most happy. Which means we are believing certain promises about our future. And so our life is a reflection about the promises that we believe. And so our joy is going to be affected by what we believe. Our attitude is going to be a reflection of what we believe. And it's going to affect every single area of our lives. Let me give you an example from my own family. So we decided to sort of light up our kids' gloomy winter by promising them that our family would go on a vacation to Florida at the end of the school year. So went on Airbnb, booked a place in Florida, sat at the dinner table one night, and I said, guys, it's totally out of nowhere to them. I've got some exciting news for you guys. I have five kids. They're all like, what is it? I'm like, we are going to Florida for family vacation. My kids are all running around the table and screaming, and they're so excited, and they sit back down, take my phone, and turn it on landscape mode, and flip through the pictures. I'm like, we are going to be here. And it not only affected us that one night, but has affected us to some degree ever since my kids want to talk about it. Sometimes they want me to show them the pictures. There's just like an enthusiasm, like at the end of this winter, we're going to be in Florida. In fact, my son Gabe, who's four, every night, I don't think that's an exaggeration, at dinner, right before he sits down at his place, partly because he's just disobeying, but he, he doesn't want to sit down yet. But he's just like, guess what I'm excited about? And the kids all start laughing and he's like, Florida! And then he, he spreads his arm out like an airplane and just takes a complete lap, maybe two, around our kitchen. But because my kids believe this promise that for them came out of nowhere, it affects every single area of their life. It affects their joy and their attitude about school, about winter, about all those things. And similarly, all of us are affected by what we believe about our present, about our future, and about who God is. And it's so easy for us to get back into this mode in our relationship with God of trying to live that relationship based on duty rather than believing in God's promises. 
This text is sort of a reminder of a text that we studied a few months back in Galatians chapter 3. You remember the Apostle Paul asked us this question. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? See, what he's reminding us of is that the entire Christian life begins when we take God at his word. See, Christianity is not entered into by cleaning yourself up so that you can sort of earn God's favor. Christianity is something where God makes us these amazing promises in his word. The one that Paul's talking about here is that he'll give us the presence and power of his spirit, that God will actually come to live in us and give us the ability to obey God's commands. It will animate us for good works. And you don't achieve that. You simply receive that. From beginning to end, the Christian life is about our beliefs. It's about taking God at his word. It's about receiving his promise. That's where the adventure begins. And then we begin to walk with God. We take steps of faith, which brings us into sort of the second movement in Abram's life. And we see the courage of Abraham. Okay, verse four. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Okay, let me give a little bit of context this for you because I don't think the words Abram went land on us unless we understand what it cost him to leave. So there's a commentator named Von Rad who wrote this. The call was to abandon all natural connections, to surrender all social customs and traditions, to leave land, clan, and family. These were the very areas of strong attachment which in the ancient world would have been thought to provide ultimate personal security. He is being asked, in a word, to leave everything. God shows up, tells him to leave everything. In our, in our modern culture, this would be like God showing up to you and telling you to quit your job and move to the sticks in a third world country. To give up everything that gives you a sense of self and personal security. And it's in that context that the scripture says, and Abram went. There's no gap between verse 3 and verse 4. He simply heard the promise of God and he believed the promise of God in such a way that he actually took God at his word and he did what he said. Guys, it is when we hear the word of God and we're not merely hearers, but we are doers of the word that we actually experience the blessing of his promise. And this only happens 
when the promise of God is more real to us than our circumstances. When the promise is more real than the perceived cost. It's when we let God be God and we stop taking matters into our own hands. There's an old song that says, trust and obey. There is no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. You might feel stuck in your relationship with God, and maybe it's because you've got the trust part. Like you're like, I believed in Jesus, but I'm not experiencing the blessing of God in my life. And maybe you're not experiencing the blessing of God in your life because you don't really believe in a biblical sense if you are not obeying his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So what is it in your life? What is it difficult for you to take God at his word for? I thought of a story that might be helpful to many of you because of the stage of life that you're in. So I learned this later about my wife, Melissa, that it was a really difficult decision for her when she was 25 years old to move to Muncie, Indiana. So Muncie, Indiana, a college town just north of Indianapolis. My wife, Melissa, was on staff with a Christian missionary organization, and they had placed her in Muncie, Indiana. So she had this choice. Do I trust God and believe that he has placed me in this place and that he's gonna take care of my own needs or am I gonna take matters into my own hands? Because one of the first things she thought about Muncie, Indiana is there's probably not gonna be any prospects for me there. Small town, Indiana, Things aren't looking good. And maybe she had to cross this bridge. Maybe God has me never to be married. And here's the thing. She didn't know. At that point in her life, she didn't know. Now, it turned out that she would meet me and Muncie, that we would date for 10 months and all that. But she didn't know that at that point. That's the point, right? And God is calling many of you to follow him into the unknown. You don't know what moving to this place or that place will do. You don't know what taking that job or that one will do or what picking that major or that major will do. And what God is saying is not that you would know the future, but that you would actually just trust him. Your job is to follow his leadership. His job is to take care of you. Now, how did Abraham have this kind of mindset? I love that we have an Old Testament and a New Testament in our Bible because the New Testament obviously gives us insight into the Old Testament. In Hebrews chapter 11, it gives us some answers into how Abram made this decision. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And here's why. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. 
Here's the key to learning to live by faith. It's actually to detach your hopes and your dreams from this earthly reality and attach them to God's bigger dreams for your life, which are eternal. And when you do that, it's just marriage. It's just a job. They're just kids. It's just life. You know, life becomes the details, the, subs, the subtext of the great reality of knowing and walking with God. And it is a tough daily process to learn to walk with this kind of courage. But when we walk with this kind of courage, we find true freedom. And we see in the life of Abraham that it's not always a smooth ride because we forget and we fail. And so the next sort of movement in this adventure that Abraham has in walking with God is we see the failure of Abraham. So there's actually three different stories. Just in these four chapters, there were three stories that I could pick from that illustrate the failure of Abraham. So I just took the first one in sequential order. So Genesis chapter 12, verses 11 through 19. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say that you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me? that she was your wife. Now, it'd be easy to, to give Abram a free pass here because things turned out well. But you can't give somebody a free pass for essentially willingly participating in a sexual slave trade. That's what he was doing, right? So he goes to Egypt. He had believed God's promise. He's full of courage. And then he's like, oh no, I'm about to die. And so, recognizes that he married a beautiful woman and he knows that men in power tend to like beautiful women. And so, he thinks, if he finds out that she's my wife, he's gonna kill me so that he can have my wife. So I'll pretend that she's my sister and I'll kind of give her as a gift to Pharaoh. Then he won't kill me, he'll kind of be happy with me and he'll let me go free. And so he devises this plan, convinces his wife that it's a good idea, and gives his wife to the harem of a king to do with her whatever he pleases. If that's not morally evil, I don't know what is. That is awful behavior. And you notice that it is a direct 
disbelief in the promise of God. Because God told Abram that he would make of him a great nation. And that promise is filled in a little bit later when God makes clear that he plans for Abram, who's very old, 75 years old at this point, and his wife, Sarah, is also very old, that it's the two of them together who will produce this offspring who will become a great nation. So what Abram does here is he disbelieves the very heart of God's promise to him, which is the root cause of all of our sinful behavior. Whenever we go outside of God's best for our lives, it's because our first and foundational failure is to take God at his word and to believe his promises. So that's what Abram fails to do. And the result is evil. What we also see in the text is that we often tend to disbelieve God in our most vulnerable spots. Can you imagine how painful that was for Abram, for him and his wife not to be able to get pregnant and for them to go years and years without having kids. And so you can sort of understand psychologically why he would sort of take matters into his own hands at this point. That he wouldn't believe God when he said that he would protect Abram and he'd protect his wife and that they would have kids. And so he sort of thinks, I don't know if God's gonna actually come through for me because doesn't seem like he's come through for me in the past. And so what begins to happen is his circumstances are becoming greater than the reality of God's promise to him. Have you ever had that happen? I know I have many times in my life. And I was thinking about one example of that. Uh, my wife, Melissa, and I uh, struggled with infertility for three years. And we also started an adoption process that ended up taking three years. And it was a super painful season in our life. And then by God's grace, we ended up going from zero to four kids at once. And the way that that happens is with nine months to go in an adoption process, your wife gets pregnant with twins. And so all of a sudden, my girls are born August 25th of 2013. I left for the Democratic Republic of Congo on September 20th of 2013. And then I came back on October 30th of 2013. And we all of a sudden, within just a couple months time, went from being a family of two to a family of six. So you would have thought after all those prayers and after all that pleading with God and after all that we had been through and the way that God had miraculously come through for us, that we would just be so thankful. And what actually happened is both Melissa and I quickly discovered that we struggled with anger and that we had control issues. And our circumstances began 
to overwhelm us and become greater than the promises of God. And the result of that was that these sins and this disobedience toward God started to come out of our lives and it was ugly. And some of you this morning, you come and your failure is what's most real to you in your relationship with God right now. And you just think about all the ways that you haven't trusted him and you're just like, man, this just stinks. You feel more of a sense of shame than you do a sense of freedom coming to church, if you're honest. And I've got good news for you because God has a perspective that when you actually begin to see it, it blows your mind. See, after Abraham's failures, we never see God bring them back in his face again. We actually see that God has a different perspective of his failures than even he does. One that we would see as maybe too gracious or too lenient. Romans 4 verse 20 summarizes God's description of Abraham this way. When God looked at Abraham, this is what he said about his life. No distrust made him waver concerning the promises of God. And whenever I've read that, I've always been like, God, did you not read Genesis chapter 12? Did you, did you read like Genesis 12 through 16? Like Abraham actually does this exact same thing again, lies and tells another king that Sarah is his sister. He makes the exact same mistake again. And then in another place, Sarah's wife's like, well, we can't have kids, so why don't you just have sex with one of our slaves? And Abraham's like, that sounds like a great idea to me. And so he does that. Another huge, huge lack of faith and moral failure. And God looks at his life and he says, Abraham is the man of faith. No distrust made him waver concerning the promises of God. And maybe you need to hear this this morning because you are looking at your failures and your assessment of your own life is, I am nothing but a failure. And what God wants to say to you is, look at your trajectory. You're my kid. I'm proud of you. And my assessment of you is that no distrust makes you waver concerning my promises. Here's why God can say that. And so we're going to wrap up today's message. It's why God can say that. Because God is not dependent on you in any way. He doesn't need you at all. And faith is not about our faithfulness to God. Faith is about his faithfulness to us. It all rests on him. He is our savior from beginning to end. And we see his amazing faithfulness in the rest of our passage. Genesis 15, 7 through 18. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he, that's Abram, said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. 
And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I give this land. So here's what happened. It's a very confusing story. Let me explain it to you quickly. So Abram comes to God, and like all of us, with all of his faults and failures, he comes to God and he begins to doubt God's promise. And he's like, how are you gonna give me the land? How are you gonna make me prosperous? How are you gonna give me offspring? And God doesn't just say, you can trust me, I'm God. He says, let's make a covenant together. And so this style of making an agreement would have been very familiar to Abraham. This is how neighboring kings, if they had been in conflict with each other and were trying to make peace, this is how they would make an agreement together. They would cut these animals in half and they would take each half. So half the cow goes there, half the cow goes there, half the pig goes there, half the pig goes there. And they would essentially make this long row and make an aisle way down the middle. And as they were making this agreement, what would happen is both kings from these neighboring tribes would walk together between the pieces. And what they were saying as they walked together between the pieces is, if I don't uphold my end of the bargain, may I become like this animal. They got serious with their agreements. You can cut me in half. This was way better than a handshake. I give you my word that I'll do this. So here's what happens. In response to Abraham's doubts, God puts him to sleep. And Abraham has this vision. And what happens is that he sees fire, smoking fire pot and a torch pass between the pieces. And he recognizes that that fire represents the presence of God. And he had been expecting that him and God would walk between the pieces together. And that he would say to God, if I'm not faithful to the covenant, I'll get cut off. I'll get cut in half. And if you're not faithful, then you'll get cut in half. But that's not what happens. What God says is, whether I'm unfaithful to the covenant or you're unfaithful to the covenant, I get cut in half. I'm the only one who's gonna make a guarantee. I'm the only one who's gonna be faithful. And even if you're not faithful, I'll take the punishment for your unfaithfulness. God's saying this whole thing rides on me, not on you, Abram. That's got to be your confidence. Here's what this would be like. Imagine that... A husband and wife, 
just gotten married and they decide to sign a prenuptial agreement. Prenuptial agreement, right? It decides beforehand in in the uh, event of unfaithfulness on either party where all the possessions are gonna go. And imagine this husband sits down with his bride who's just married and they sign the prenuptial agreement and she starts to read through it and she looks at, uh, up at him and she's really confused because it says that whether he leaves the marriage because of unfaithfulness or she leaves the marriage because of unfaithfulness, she gets all the stuff. Some people would say that's stupid. God would say that's love. Do you see the love of God for you? He says, I want you to take me at my word that I will never stop loving you. Even if it costs me my very life. Even if I get cut in half, I promise you that I will come through for you. And Abraham took God at his word He believed that ridiculous promise. But we have actually had the privilege of seeing the promise come true. Here's what scripture said happened to Jesus at the cross. Isaiah 53, 8 says, By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. You see, what happened to Jesus is he came as a fulfillment of God's promise and he was cut in half. He was stricken. He was cut off for your sin. What happened? He took all your failures, all your unfaithfulness on himself. So the good news is that the gospel is for sinners. It's for you and me. It's for those of us who feel like we can never measure up. It's for those of us who know that we're deeply flawed and that we need a God who keeps his end of the bargain no matter what. So what I'm asking you to do is once again, maybe it's for the first time, is to transfer your trust from you You're a lot like Abraham, aren't you? You have your days where you have so much faith and you're filled with excitement for the things of God. But then if you're honest, you have other days where you just go your own way and do your own thing. You have days of doubt and fear and failure. So you transfer your trust from you and you transfer your trust onto God. He never has any bad days. He's always faithful. He always loves us and he has given us ultimate proof of that in the cross. So I'm asking you to bank your life on that with me. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, your covenant. Thank you that you are a promise-making God because we need you to be. When we look inside of ourselves, we see restless hearts. We have looked to a 
thousand other things to try to find our satisfaction and our joy, we have sadly many times not believed in your promise. But we thank you that the cross is the sign that you will always be faithful to us. You are faithful when we are not because you cannot deny yourself. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.